You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly up to the 9-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. 30 minutes of socks for fans by fans. Brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. They want to protect your foundation. They want to keep water out. They want to keep everything safe and dry and not ruined and not musty smelling. Uh, Bowing walls, window wells, foundation and crack repair, sump pumps, gutter cleaning, concrete raising and evening. That's a foundational issue. Yard drainage systems and much, much more. Family veteran owned and operated since they started in 2013. Give them a call 24 7 708 330 4466. Mention socks in the basement, you get a deep discount. FamilyDry.com is where you go to learn what a difference a family makes. In the offseason, we can sit there and we can, we can react. And if we talk about something, it's still true a week later. I don't want to be a recap show, right? Like, that, that's never what I want to be. And that's why I think if you go back and you listen to shows on demand, let's say you listen to this one, you go, okay, what did they talk about on the last one in case I missed it? If you go back, the idea is we're trying to paint with a broad brush things that we're noticing about the team, things that we like, things that we dislike, things to watch for when you're watching the Chicago White Sox either in person or on TV or listening on the radio, things to kind of keep in mind while you're observing this team throughout the year rather than just kind of like knee-jerk reactions, scream and yell about something that three days later may not be true. I think that makes sense, right, Ed? 100% because we, we all get the recaps, the instant reactions right away, and that is not what we need to do here. We want to we wanna bring something different to the plate. So one of the things I want to do is I want to look at the 0-7 road trip but I want to look at it from like a, a bigger picture. And I want, to, I want to try to examine what happened and whether or not it's an indication of how the team is going to play all year long. Is there something that's fixable? Is there a concern? Hi, this is Jorge Mata from Lake in the Hills. Yes, this is the same person that was calling last week and screaming Sousa in the opposite tone. Um, what the f***ing f- is going on? This is heartbreaking. I'm about to cry. After the White Sox lost the second game to Minnesota, and they were 0-6 before the big debacle and extra innings on Sunday, I, I actually sent out from the from the Sox in the Basement Twitter account that this will all be ridiculous to us when they're four games up in first place at the All-Star break. I still think that they should be in first place at the All-Star break. I still think in this weakened division with what this team has, They are a first-place team, and they are a playoff team. The 0-7 road trip doesn't change that for me. But the thing that I think a lot of people are focusing on is Tony La Russa. Is Tony La Russa negatively affecting the White Sox? So I did some deep digging, Ed, and, you know, I started researching articles where where people have tried to, to quantify the effect a manager has on a team, whether on a game, over a season, players... So you're on the dark web, you're talking to British spies. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. You're doing seances and trying to get a hold of, (laughs) you know, managers from days of yore. The best source that I found for this was an article from 2014 from 538.com. Now, 
You might have heard of them, you might like them, you might not, but 538.com has tried to predict presidential elections and, you know, all kinds of statistical anomalies. It, it, it really, they really analyze things very deeply and they took on this task back in 2014 to try to find out whether or not managers have a real effect on a baseball team. And what they found after pouring over all this data and trying to, to see whether or not players are affected, their performance is perfect, uh, affected, whether or not games are affected, is that essentially all managers fall somewhere between a negative two to a positive two games over 162 games. They really don't affect the games very much. They really don't affect the season very much. They couldn't find anything. Well, your, your worst managers were basically two games less than what the team would have won. Your best managers were adding just two games with the exception of six managers. There were six managers that they found had a impact, a really big impact on how their teams played. Here are the six, Russ Nixon, Davey Johnson, Billy Martin, Earl Weaver, Bobby Cox, and Tony LaRusso. Now, this was written in 2014, and it was written before Tony came out of retirement. But if you are somebody who says, hey, Tony deserved to be in the Hall of Fame because he was a great manager, this article right here tells you if there were any managers that should be in the Hall of Fame, it would only be six of them, and Tony would be one of them. All right? So you're vindicated there. My concern is whether or not Tony LaRusso is having a negative impact on his team this year. Let's look at the 0-7 trip. I don't think this team goes 7-0 and with a different manager. I don't think this team has a winning record over those seven games with a different manager. I do, though, question whether or not this team should have gone 0-7. And here are some of the things that I kind of pinpointed and highlighted when, when I tried to, to figure out what impact Tony had. He didn't have any positive impact because you lost all the games. So it's very right. easy not yeah, to say. There's no good, nothing good happened there. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, no positive impact, right? But you come out of two days off, well-rested, and a lot of options that you could have gone with in your rotation and already knowing that Lucas Giolito is going to be available to pitch that weekend. In the first game of the doubleheader on April 20th, Dallas Keuchel gets blown up. We laughed about how Tony obviously hates him and left him out there to die in the second inning. So the first thing that I think Tony did wrong then was stubbornly just go with the lineup he was planning on all day for game two. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to bench Grandal now. I'm going to send Reese McGuire out there to finish out this mess, and I'm going to add another bat in there. Instead of trying to protect Luis Robert with Larry Garcia in the three-hole, I will put together a better lineup and I will try to split this doubleheader. Tony stubbornly doesn't do that. You lose the game two to one. It wasn't Jimmy Lambert starting. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't for the fact that it was a, a softball game. You didn't have a lot of offense. You were only able to scrape together one run, and you didn't have a very good lineup when you put it together. There's a negative impact. I don't know if he lost the game, per se. Okay, I don't know if I could say... They definitely would have won if Tony would have put together a better lineup. But there's still, he's putting his team behind the eight ball the way that he planned out that game. When I look at the the last game against Cleveland, the next day, Plezak, again, he throws Garcia out there in a three-hole. I don't know what he's trying to prove. But you lost six to three. 
I, I don't know. I don't know if I could sit there and I could say Tony lost that game. When I look at Friday on April 22nd and I see another two to one loss to the Minnesota Twins and I see Leary Garcia in the two hole again, well, the Twins go and put Carlos Correa in the two hole. And I look at the lineup that he presents out there again. I, I can say with confidence he's not positively affecting his team and he's not an even where he's not, where like he has no effect. The only thing he can be there is a negative effect. You lost a game two to one. And again, you didn't put together a very good lineup. But again, I, I can't I can't say for sure they lose that game. The last game of the series, Tony LaRusa lost the game. I think it's very obvious that he lost the game. Okay, Byron Buxton's red hot. Byron Buxton's probably their premier player right now. Byron Buxton already hit a big home run to tie everything up. You got first base open, up by a run, and you pitched to Buxton. And when it was 3-1, the manager, if he isn't asleep on the bench, should have finished it off and walked him. And he should have gone to Arias coming up with the bases loaded, who's a ground ball hitter, and hoped for the double play. He put himself in a terrible position there. That's definitely a negative impact. So over this course of this, this seven-game losing streak, Ed, I can see for sure in my mind at least one loss is on him and possibly two. And if your team went two and five on this road trip, it would have been disappointing. But you would be a game over 500 and your locker room wouldn't be so down. There are games that were given up, I felt like, on that road trip. And Tony LaRusso, you have to look at him and say, what are you doing? Because I was told there was a competitive advantage to having a former World Series, three-time World Series winning, uh, you know, current Hall of Fame baseball person brought in. That's why your owner overstepped his general manager and put his buddy in there, right? And and we were told, but this is an advantage. I didn't see any advantage during that seven-game losing streak. That entire road trip was, was a disaster, and a lot of that falls in the manager's lap. Socks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Hey, Sox in the basement guys, Dean and Lyle. I think I'm responsible for the uh white Sox losing streak because my white Sox flag blew away last week in the 60 60 mile an hour winds and my neighbor recovered it huge cubs fan and he had a big smile on his face like he put some type of voodoo hex on it just wondering is that something i could use with an exorcism or how might that work secondly i watched the game last night two to one lost absolutely ugly and trying to figure out uh was yasmani grandel injured i don't understand why he's not pinch hitting in that case 
Anyway, I'm not going to nitpick completely beside the other fact that does Lurie Garcia have pictures of Rick Hahn or of uh, Tony La Russa? Because I have no idea why he's not only in the lineup, but he's, uh, he's hitting number three. What's going on? The game I look at that I don't think you really talk too much about, you know, that, that 2-1 loss, you said that that one could have gone either way, the one against the Twins, right? Where, again, he's got Garcia batting in the two-hole. But that one, the interesting thing that, that came up there was late in the game, you've got Reese McGuire up there with an opportunity to take the game and put the Sox ahead. And you get 2-11 hitting Reese McGuire, who was traded for because of his glove work, not because of his bat. And you're sitting Grandal that game. But there's nothing that says Yasmani Grandal can't come up in that situation and try and get the hit to put him ahead instead of having McGuire, you know, in a position where he could have driven in a run to basically give the Sox that opportunity in the ninth to tie it at least, right? And then possibly pull ahead and give him an opportunity to win that game. Instead, he sends up Reese McGuire and Jake Berger. Berger ends up striking out looking after McGuire pops out. So that's that's two guys right there that you look at with what was on the bench and you go to Tony and you'd have to ask, is there a reason why we couldn't see somebody maybe with a little bit more history behind them, maybe somebody that could have done something? Could Grandal have come up in one of those situations? Because Tony LaRusso was basically a bench player in his short stint being a player, and he loves right. bench players. He loves Larry Garcia. He loves the the backup catcher. This has always been a thing with him, and it's really prevalent on this team. I, I, you're right. I don't understand it. Look, like I said, they could have lost all seven games no matter who was sitting there as the manager, but there there is a negative impact to the decisions he's making or he's not making during some of these games that made it a lot easier for you to lose all seven. And, and maybe if he just does simple baseball management 101 stuff, you know, big situation. I got a bat on the bench that's available. That's a good player late in the game. And he's simply, he's simply the, the, the number one at that position who is getting a day off and I can have him finish off the game and bring in Grandal. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of things he could do. Look, the team has been playing terrible. Timmy Anderson forgot how to play defense. They're, they're kicking the ball all over the field. It's not just one player. It's not just the manager. There's all kinds of issues. I mean, what the heck? Uh, Liam Hendricks has been tipping pitches for like two weeks. All I got to do is look on Twitter. There's all kinds of images. He tucks the ball into his glove when he's throwing something off speed. He shows the batter the ball by putting it above his glove when he throws a fastball. Ethan Katz has been tagged in multiple posts on social media, and there isn't any adjustment whatsoever. Byron Buxton knew it was coming. Because Liam Hendricks showed it to him. And I think that's the other frustrating thing for fans. Is anybody with a keyboard, okay, and or just a little bit of time on their hands is noticing things that the coaching staff isn't noticing right now. I'm not saying this team is a team that should be off to a hot start with all these injuries and the fact that they're they're just not able to hit and the defense is atrocious. They've got all kinds of problems here. But it's almost as if the coaching staff has exacerbated the problems or not found a way to pull them out of it. It's almost like they're just sitting there and their shoulders are slumped and they're like, whoa, what are we going to do? And, and that's their job. Figure it out. There were things that could have been done during that road trip that that the manager failed to do. The pitching coach seems to be missing in, in, the, in the case of Hendricks. And I think that's where the frustration comes from, from fans. All right. I think the, the, the frustration is... If you guys can't figure this out soon, then we're in for a very long season. 
you got to hope they're going to figure it out. But man, there's a lot of things here that they are glaring that the manager and the coaching staff are missing right now where the common fan can see it. Yeah. And, and there is something to be said too, for the fact that the guys who didn't play for the majority of that losing streak were Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez gets hurt as well. So that, that is, this two big bats and whatever you want to say about how they were doing before their injuries, that's still two major bats. And I think the underrated guy that we haven't seen is Josh Harrison, who was last seen in the doubleheader, hasn't been available since then. He is defensively a rock in their lineup. There's a lot of things that, that you lose when you lose guys that are very, very key guys, especially guys that are under the radar key. And then, you know, even getting, say, A.J. Pollock back, well, Pollock's he's rusty. I mean, everybody saw it when he was, when he was playing, he's just very, very rusty. So these are the things that are going to happen though, over the course of a, of a full season. Right. And to have them happen in April, isn't terrible. Even if there are gloom and doom statistics about teams with a certain OPS or, or, you know, an on-base percentage, we saw that those stats floating around that teams haven't started this bad offensively and made the playoffs. And that's an interesting factoid but it's not necessarily indicative of where this team could be because if Lewis Robert comes back from being injured and gets off on the tear that we expect him to get off onto and turns into the MVP candidate that we think he's going to be this year, that is going to make a lot of the April woes seem very, very minor. And the same thing with Aloy Jimenez. He comes back and starts hitting home runs. Or Yoan Moncada, for that matter. We've forgotten about him. This is your starting third baseman and a guy that – at least from a talent standpoint, should be somebody who could be a game changer. So there's a lot of – this team is way more beat up than I think people really, when they step back and look at it, than they really, really realize because all we talked about at the start with being beat up was, well, Lance Lynn is on the IL, and then Giolito left his first – you know, one of his early starts. And I, I think you're missing you're missing the totality of just exactly how – how much Danny Mendick and Larry Garcia may would hopefully not be in the lineup if they were at full strength. But Larry is always going to be there because Larry has something on these people. He's an everyday player. As much as you hate it, he's an everyday player. He'll be an everyday he player is. all he's year 100%. long. It'll never make any sense. He's a below average defensive player. He's a below average hitter. And and yet he he starts all the time. And when his manager wants to prove a point, he puts him up at the top of the lineup where he's assured of getting more at bats than players that are better than him. It, 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 it's a maddening thing. I don't have anything personally against Larry Garcia. I'm mad at his manager for being an idiot and how he uses him. Okay, Tony LaRusso. I'm just yeah, is an idiot the way he uses him. I, I just I don't understand how you put that much faith in a guy with a 262 OPS right now. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Everybody's struggling. Okay, he's somehow struggling worse than everybody though. <laughs> like, it's not like he's like right. he's 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 playing well. He's even worse than everybody else. I don't. And, and you know, here's the thing: when when you put him high in the lineup, the protection he's providing for one of your really good players, it's a negative. W- would you rather when when Robert was in the lineup earlier in the week? Would you rather pitch the Luis Robert, or would you rather or would you rather pitch around him and go to Garcia? Would you rather pitch the Tim Anderson when he's in the two hole? Or would you rather pitch around him, especially because Anderson has a tendency to swing at the first pitch all the time? I want to remind you to check out SoxOn35th.com, our partners, the uh, great articles, analysis, minor league reports, 
they are breaking down the game pre-game and post-game. They are previewing series. They are a giant plethora of information available to you online. I'm working on a guest that I might have this week, former White Sox player um, that I, I've actually met as a child and bumped into recently. And he was like, I want to come on the show. And I was like, you can come on the show anytime you want to. So that might be before the week is out. Okay. And, and of course, like I said, go to SoxOn35th.com for all your extra analysis. All right. Here's some analysis though on Sox in the basement. And it goes back to something that I brought up. I think I first brought this up a week to two weeks ago. It's the swing on first pitch thing. Yeah. It's a problem with certain players. And it also speaks to how teams are planning for the Chicago White Sox and how it's affecting them. And it also speaks to why it's a bad idea to have Larry Garcia or somebody who's a subpar hitter batting behind a guy like Tim Anderson. Uh, He likes to swing first pitch. I'm going to bring this up real quick here. Swung at the first pitch so far in 24 of his 49 plate appearances coming out of that road trip, just under 50% of the time. Anytime he comes to the plate, if he swings at the first pitch, the end result of the entire at bat, he's hitting 261. He's got two home runs, though. Both of his home runs, he got swinging first pitch from somebody who obviously didn't read the scouting report because the scouting report would tell you, give him nothing to hit on the first pitch because he loves the swing first pitch. In fact, when he doesn't swing first pitch and he takes the first pitch, he's hitting 360 this year. It's a massive difference. The reason he's hitting worse is because most pitchers, most teams are aware of the fact that he likes to swing early. Therefore, when he swings at a first pitch, it is worse than when he doesn't swing at the first pitch. If we look at other players, though, and I want to illustrate this point, Jose Abreu, professional hitter, right? Professional hitter Jose Abreu has only swung first pitch in 14 plate appearances, and he has taken the first pitch in 44 so far this season. All right, wonderful. And when he takes a pitch, he hits 237. And when he swung first pitch, he's hitting 154. It shows right there that his patience is paying off. Even though he's not hitting very well, he increases his odds of producing when he holds off. Let's look at a guy like Andrew Vaughn. I found him very interesting so far this year, okay? He has only swung at the first pitch 14 times in 14 plate appearances. He's had 30 plate appearances where he holds off and takes it. Now, his stats are really interesting because Andrew Vaughn is only hitting 231 when he takes the first pitch. But why is he hitting 429 with an OPS of 1,072 when he swings first pitch? Because it's so rare. Andrew Vaughn is taking advantage of his scouting report. He's, his scouting report says he loves to take pitches. And so you should try to get ahead in the count right away by putting one right down the middle. And what Vaughn is doing is he is he is timing it. He's looking at the pitcher. He's looking at the situation. And he's he's actually seems to be aware of what his tendency is. And then it pays off for him because he surprises the pitcher when he swings first pitch. You know who used to do that all the time, Ed, for comparison's sake? Paul Canerco used to do that. Yeah. Especially in 2005. Now, remember, what is the most like famous thing that we saw Paul Canerco ever do? It was a grand slam in game two of the World Series, right? I mean, they, they left the seat the same color out there. It was just one of the greatest moments of my entire life watching White Sox games. And he did it first pitch off of Chad Qualls. So why does Chad Qualls in that situation with the bases loaded groove one right down the middle trying to get ahead in the count? Because throughout the entirety 
of the 2005 season. Paul Canerco only swung at the first pitch in 151 plate appearances and took the first pitch 513 times. He had a tendency to not swing first pitch. He hit 266 when he took. He hit 338 with an 1145 OPS when he picked and chose when he was going to be aggressive. That's the proper way to approach a a plate appearance, to approach an at-bat, okay? Because then you're able to surprise the pitcher. What the White Sox are doing, a lot of their players are doing, though, and, and the team average is higher than anybody else in baseball right now, the White Sox are tending to go after the first pitch way too much, and it doesn't benefit anybody. A guy like Tim Anderson who's got two home runs, Okay, and and has shown that sometimes jumping first pitch is paying off for him is still better when he waits back. And most of these guys are showing that the only time it works better for them when they go first pitch is because the pitcher is surprised. But you can look at a lot of these games and look at the pitch selection of the Indians and the Twins. They are not giving them very much to hit, or at least the majority of them are not doing that unless they completely forget the the scouting report, like the first pitch of that last game against the Twins, where who, who was on the mound there? for the, the Chris Archer? Chris Archer t- completely yeah. forgets that and puts it right down the middle to Tim Anderson and the first pitch is a home run. But generally, teams are avoiding throwing strikes the first pitch to White Sox hitters. And they would benefit by having a tendency where they're waiting back and then picked and chose when they were going to be aggressive. And the numbers back it up when I go from player to player to player, Ed. Well, and that's one of those things where, again, you you do ask to kind of bring it back around. Is there a negative impact that the coaching staff is having on this team from game to game? Not necessarily in game management, but then this is something where, as a team, you have to understand how other teams view you, okay? Okay. And this is, I think, what frustrates White Sox fans. When you see somebody like Liam Hendricks tipping pitches, and we can all see it, and we're not even baseball players, you assume that Byron Buxton is aware of it. The Twins are aware. They are scouting ahead. But when you have tendencies as a team, when you have a philosophy as a team, you have to understand how to exploit that philosophy sometimes in the scouting reports in key situations, and you have to understand when it's a negative for you. And you have to be, as a player, able to do that. But also, as a coaching staff, it's your job to let the players know these things because what the players are sitting there thinking about is they're trying not to think about their mechanics. They're trying to think about their plan. They're trying to figure out what the pitcher's tendencies are. They're they're, they're going over their scouting reports for the opponent. So, as a coach, as a manager, going to Andrew Vaughn and talking about his tendencies, going to Tim Anderson and saying, T.A., look, man, I know you rock out the first pitch when somebody grooves you a fastball, but for the love, man, only when you see that fastball. Stop swinging at everything the first pitch because you do better when you get a little bit deeper into the count. Hold back on it, please. And they're going to listen to that. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to Sox Twitter. They're not going to listen to fans yelling it out at them from the scout seats, right? That stuff... We as fans could shout at the wind in some ways about these things when we sit there and we notice these stats and we notice these trends. That is where, you know, if you want to go and and rail against the coaching staff, look at the trends and look at how the White Sox are going to be scouted by other teams and figure out, are the coaches seeing this or is it just everybody else in the baseball universe, whether it's fans or other teams? 
because the only other explanation, the only other explanation is that Larry Garcia is a Sith Lord and he has gotten into their heads and they cannot see anything beyond the dark side of the Force. Larry Garcia, I, I looked up his splits. Uh, he swings at the first pitch just as many times as he doesn't swing at the first pitch. Uh, 20 times this season, he swung at the first pitch. 23 plate appearances, he didn't. Which uh, which one you think gives him better results? Uh, none of the above. <laughs> Sitting on the bench gives him a better result. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.